This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Today I'm talking with Doug Wagner, President and CEO of LMI. Doug has served on many boards. He was Director of TerraThink Corporation, Thompson's Reuters Special Services, and Ocean Sound Partners. Prior to that, he was Sector President at SAIC before he retired in 2017. Uh, Doug, first, let me welcome you to the show, and thank you for joining uh, with us remotely uh, in our safe uh, locations because uh, of COVID. Thanks, Eileen. Really looking forward to, uh, to our discussion. So why don't we just start with, uh, you know, just a general question. Can you describe your leadership style? Yeah, I've, I've been fairly consistent over the years where the way I've, I've phrased it is I've, I've tried to be a compass setter and not a map maker. Um, of course, I realize now that, that, you know, there's a generation out there that has no idea what a map is. Maybe I need to say I'm a compass setter, not a, uh, a GPS. But what I mean by that is my role is to set objectives, uh, set a vision, and then get with each of my leaders and, and set their course. And so as, instead of specifically saying, here's exactly what I want you to do, I will say, you know, head northeast, and I need you to head south. I need you to head west for us to meet our objectives. And I found that in setting those broader objectives to a common goal, you know, they'll learn things along the way. They'll grow along the way. They'll be challenged along the way. And, and my job is to make sure they're generally heading that direction. But they may come back and say, hey, boss, you know, Southwest is a little better than due west. And, and we can talk about it. So uh, that's the best analogy I can describe um, for, um, for how I try, I try to lead an organization. So even, in, you know, there's times when in, in audiences that are a little bit different, do you alter your approach depending on the situation of the audience that you're uh, working with? Um, try, I try to be consistent. So I may, uh, you know, LMI is a very different organization than others I, I have worked for. And so, yes, I will address my style to that organization. Um, I try to be consistent amongst my leaders and, um, Within, within an organization, but yes, certainly. And then certainly, you know, times, and, and we've seen some, some challenging times this year, requires a slightly different style, but, um, but really do try to be consistent in, in setting those broad objectives and, um, and trusting my people and communicating those objectives to them. So are there any stories you can share about a leadership challenge? You brought that up and, and how you faced an obstacle and how you got through it. I mean, I, I love your analogy, you know, a compass setting the direction and then letting people figure out, you know, what happens in between. But, you know, there's times when, you know, the, the, the headwinds uh, are, are too great. Have you faced a challenge where you can share a story? You know, I, 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 I hope I hope this this resonates or with what you know what your the objective of your question is. You know the greatest challenge I had faced was um, the one year to split Lidos and SAIC. Um, that was a big challenge because there really was no precedent for something like that. Um, the leadership team I had was not necessarily picked by me. Uh, it was a team of of folks with diverse backgrounds to do all the things you have to do to prepare to analyze and then split and then recreate two companies and then take them public. And again, to do it within a year. 
Um, so that was that was a great leadership challenge. And I think, again, setting the, you know, setting, there were so many things you had to do and so many decisions you had to make. I do think that style of setting a compass and trusting folks and, and, and you know, having those regular check-ins and make sure they're still on the path was the only way uh, to get through that. Um, the other mechanism I, I used is, is, you know, before we had our kickoff, um, the night before the kickoff, I sat down, I wrote 10 principles. So this is how we're going to operate as a team. And uh, it really resonated with them. I think folks took those, those principles very seriously. And, and again, I think if we wavered on any of those, we, we probably would have still hit the objective, but we wouldn't have been able to do it, you know, in the year, which is what, um, you know, the executive team and, and the board wanted for, um, for Legacy SAIC. Can you share those principles? Um, if I can remember all of them. <laughs> you know, I think, I, think, I think the one that really kind of got people, made people go, hmm, was we're not going to readdress decisions. Um, I think a lot of folks, and, and that's not necessarily, uh, that's an example of I did change my style or adjust my style to that challenge because I tend to move quickly. I tend to be very decisive. Um, and, and we had to in this situation. And my view on that is a lot of decisions you can change. You can, you can see, hey, look, um, this isn't going the way we thought it. This adjusts course if, if you're agile enough. What you can't do is go back in time. And gosh, I wish I made that decision sooner. So I tend to be decisive. Um, but this was a situation where we had to be decisive. And there were so many decisions that we could not go back and readdress. Uh, so I think that was one of the key principles. Certainly one of the key principles was trust and keep, you know, we, we you know, you can't in a situation like that, there was so much emotion at the time, you know, so many people worried about their futures and their careers. And and, you know, and certainly that, you know, this, you know, as a publicly traded company, the folks were concerned about you know, what it was due to the value of the company. So we really had to stay unified. Uh, we, there was one person that spoke for the team, which was going to be me. Um, no rumors, stop them out quickly. You know, those were, those were some of the key principles. Can you define what a great leader is or any leaders that you've worked with in the past that come to mind? Yeah, I've, I, I have been blessed work with um, with many great leaders you know throughout my career um, you know really starting starting with my parents um, I grew up in a family-owned business and just being there with them you know you don't even realize at the time you don't appreciate it at the time um, you know like most kids I probably didn't like it at the time but um, you know just seeing how they you know managed um, how they led um, how they work, you know, kept close to customers, those things uh, left a big impression on me. But I do believe that, um, you know, a great leader, you know, clearly defines and articulates the vision for the company. Um, lets each person know on their team, you know, what is their responsibility to get to that vision? Um, do not be quick to change, but not afraid to admit you're wrong and, and make a fix. There's, I've seen leaders that they set a vision, they set a goal, they set an objective and in spite of all data that comes back, in spite of everything that their people tell them, they think it's a sign of weakness to say, hey, look, we got that wrong. What can we do to fix? What can we do to change and, and make up for the lost time? Um, I, think, um, I think, you know, you need to be decisive but not reckless. Um, I think that that's really, really key. And, you know, and sometimes I certainly have to, you know, temper myself on, on how quickly I make decisions because I do like to move out, you know, quickly, but you don't, you don't want to be reckless and, and almost as important, more important, you don't want to appear to be reckless. 
Um, I see gradual improvement, you know, versus a big bang. Um, change takes time and it takes time because of people involved. And so I think um, it's easier to say, hey, here's a few things we need to improve this month, this quarter, to ultimately get the goal as opposed to we got to get this done next month. There's certainly there's times for that in crisis, but um, in normal leadership, I think it's important to, to set gradual goals, um, you know, and certainly be empathetic. Um, you know, you have to listen more than you talk. And I also think the leader needs to be positive, but it has to be genuine. It can't be just, just cheerleading. Um, you really, you, you have to be positive, especially in times of crisis to help people get there, get, you know, get, get through it. Um, but it has to be genuine. So those, those are just some thoughts. As far as leaders, you know, my, my last, uh, my last boss, Tony Morocco, um, is someone that I learned a lot from and, uh, Don Morea, who, who is now the chairman of the board for, for SCIC when she was on the board, she was a great help to me. And, you know, another leader that, um, many of you probably don't know, uh, is Catherine Rowe. She's the president of William and Mary where I went to my, where I went undergrad and she came in to a very traditional organization uh, really stuck in their ways and just seeing how she has created change and evolved change and brought people along. Uh, she probably has the greatest emotional intelligence or emotional IQ I've, I've met. And uh, anytime I spend with her, I always learn, you know, to, how to, how to have an emotional intelligence. My son goes to William and Mary and having gone through the, and I'm on the parents council and watching her handle the uh, crisis right now and with the kids, um, you know, life there is a lot different. And uh, yeah. yeah, she, she empathy, uh, but yet very clear, very straight communications. Absolutely, absolutely. So have you, um, what obstacles and challenges did you encounter maybe on a personal level that you had to overcome? I mean, were you always, you know, a natural leader or are, have there things that you had to learn over time and change your style or change your approach um, that helped you become a better leader? Yeah, I think, I think two. <clears throat> so if, if everyone is, if anyone, I'm sure most people are familiar with, with Myers-Briggs, um, you know, I, I think I'm an INTJ and I always forget what those stand for, but certainly the I is introverted and most everybody I've come across, certainly professionally, but sometimes even personal level, assuming I'm an extrovert. And I think they assume most leaders or most um, senior leaders are extroverts. My gosh, you, know, you, you manage all these people, you're doing news radio, you're, um, you know, speaking from large audiences, you're on a board, you have, you know, you have to speak up. And, um, and I think, so there's, there's that misperception and along with that misperception, when I am quiet or when I'm taking in information, um, you can be misjudged or misread as maybe being distant or, um, or not caring. And so I definitely have to be very self-aware of, of my natural inclination to introverted and how that can be. Um, misinterpreted by, by folks. Um, similarly, you know, I've been mentioning, I've talked a lot about, about decisiveness, which I still think is important, but I have to make sure, you know, that, that I'm not going up the mountain and the rest of the team is still at the base camp. And, um, and so make sure I take the time to get everybody on board or at least set the direction, let them understand their role and responsibility. 
Uh, we're still going to move out, but I do have to take the time to make sure I got, I, you know, at least have communicated clearly to everybody. So those are, those are two challenges I'm, I'm, I'm personally aware of that I always have to make sure I take, take the time to, to work on that. I'm speaking with Doug Wagner, President and CEO of LMI. After break, we'll discuss the leadership, decision-making, and communications, and why it is important to have the right combination. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Doug Wagner, President and CEO of LMI. Doug, you know, as I mentioned um, when we were ending the last segment, um, what is the most important type of decisions you can make as a leader in your organization? Um, as CEO, it's setting the vision and the strategy. Um, it, that, that, definitely, that definitely ends with you. Um, and then building the right team around you to execute that strategy. Uh, along with that is the messaging of what that vision is. It's who you trust as executive leadership is very important because, again, you're, you're telling the enterprise, these are the qualities of, and the people that I value. And I think that trickles down throughout the organization. So I've always been very cognizant of um, how I communicate vision, how I communicate change. And again, the, the, the qualities of the leaders um, around me. So how do you approach how you decide or what you would do? Do you do it by a committee? Do you do it, you know, uh, you know what is the approach? And, and does it change depending upon the situation? Definitely changes among the situation. Uh, as far as decision making and how and how we do that, it gets back to the to the compass setting that, that I mentioned in the first segment, which is if the vision and strategy is clearly articulated, uh, you certainly get together with a management team. You talk about it. You make sure that everyone understands. Some people might not necessarily agree, and that's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you do have to make sure that everyone is is willing and able uh, to to execute that strategy. And then I think it's, it comes down to after that point, it's really setting what are the check-in points? You know, what are my guardrails? What are, you know, I understand I'm, I'm, that me as, as working for the, for, for the CEO, he's told me to go in this direction. Um, but what are the, what, when's the time I have to come back and say, hey, we're, we're off course? And of course, I say, let's do that sooner, sooner than later. I don't, you know, no one likes surprises. But you know, understanding what are our key um, operating models, what are our, our, our indexes, our KPIs, as we call them, and, and making sure that we're within within those. And then, and then, other than that, um, they can continue to operate and and do what their responsibility is to hit the goals. Now, right now, we're in a very stressful time. People are remote, um, and. When people are remote, the natural communication does not occur. Do you think uh, decision process for leaders need to change under stressful times like there are today? Yeah, it, you do, and I and I certainly have as well. And you, you know, people are, um, you know, people are scared. They're concerned. Um, they they also want to collaborate they want to discuss 
um, you know, what's going on in the country in terms of, of social injustice. They they look to their company and their leaders, I think, more than than employees did maybe, you know, five, 10 years ago, certainly more than when when I came up uh, and started my career. And they do want to hear from you and, and they want to hear what can the company do? What can they do within the company to help um, with social injustice, racial injustice? Um, certainly, what can we do to try to get past this pandemic um, safely, and but yet you know continue to grow, continue to provide for uh, our employees and for their families? And so, it takes a lot more communication. It takes dedicated time. Um, I know we've created a COVID group. We've created um, many affinity groups. Um, we have a new DEI organization that, that we've created, and all of this is to get dialogue going because that's, that's what that's what people that's what people need is what people want, and maybe even more so since since they're remote and they can't walk down the hall and and talk about it with with one of their peers. I, I think they do probably feel a bit isolated, and and so we've tried to put the mechanisms in place to to help them through that. So communications, communications, you keep on bringing that up, are, are key to successful organizations anytime, especially right now. Do you set aside uh, specific times to cast your vision to your employees and your other leaders? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, I really like, and, and, and again, I, I inherited this. Uh, I can't say that I, I, I claimed it because LMI was already doing such a great job with, with communication when I came in uh, in August. But I actually did an all-hands um, even before I started, it was a couple of days before I started the job. I, I, I didn't, I, I took advantage of an all hands that was already scheduled. So we do have quarterly all hands and they were already, um, remote because so many of our employees don't work in, in our, uh, Tyson's corner headquarters. Uh, but we also have regular meetings with different levels and then within the company that we already, that's on the calendar that's specific to this. Um, and then me personally, as I came into the company, and again, in the era of COVID, where I, I can't just pop in on, on team meetings and staff meetings, I've set up at least 30 meetings over the last 90 days uh, with various groups within, within the company, various organizations in the company to, 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 to learn, to listen to, you know, to their concerns. And then a lot and probably you know, at least a dozen meetings in addition to those, specifically with you know, our affinity group. You know, we have a veterans group, a people of color group. Um, women's group, and uh, in, in addition to our larger DNI group. So yeah, we do we do set aside very specific time for that communication. We also have um, a newsletter that that goes out um, weekly with updates. So we we tell them, and then we go back and say, this is what you heard in case in case you missed it. Everything is videotaped, so they can go back and they can take a look at um, at the meetings and, and and go back and listen to the town halls and, and some of the other meetings. And uh, and this this isn't me. This is just my level my senior leadership team, they also have a regular cadence of communication after their employees. I get a sense that LMI has a very strong culture and, um, you know, words are, are meaningless unless you uh, ensure that your organization activities are aligned to your core values. How do you take temperature points or checkpoints to assure that the activities are aligned to the values that have been laid out for your corporation? Well, you're absolutely right about the the culture, and you know I think every you know every company likes to think, well, we have a unique culture or a strong culture. You know, this culture goes back to 1961. It goes back to 
uh, President Kennedy actually signing the charter to start the organization in 1961 as a uh, as a service organization uh, to 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 do research, you know, for at the time for this primarily for the Department of Defense, and and obviously we've expanded beyond that since then, and um, and the organization has kept that mission focus, that give back focus, and and we do it. Um, you know, it, I'd like to say, you know, it's in the DNA, but you're right. You do have to do, you know, regular checks to make sure. And it's, I don't think it's science that much. I don't think it's something that you, you can certainly do an annual cultural survey. You can do those kinds of things, but I think it is in how people react to opportunities. You see it, how they talk to their customers. You see it, how they talk to each other. Um, you certainly see it in, in, in operating results. Um, you see it through you know, our research institute, you know, how much, you know, who are our fellows, how much, you know, research are we doing on behalf of the government? Are we, and, and what projects are we taking on? Are we taking on the hard things? Um, so, so it's, I wish I had a better answer where I could, I could sit there and say you do A, then B, then C, but, you know, culture is, is somewhat amorphous and, and it is, it is hard to objectively judge you know, are you still on, on the path or not? One of the things I read about LMI is that 25% of your employees are veterans. That's fantastic. Do you feel people with military backgrounds are better prepared to be leaders? Um, I, 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 they certainly have gotten, um, they certainly have gotten a lot, a lot of training, um, but I can, and I think your the opportunity for a successful leader is probably better. I don't think it guarantees success. Uh, you know, I, I've been in the market this marketplace my entire career, and, and have you know absolutely had the privilege to work with so many military. Um, you know, while they were serving, certainly as they came out, and there there there's there's poor leaders there, just like there's poor leaders on, on the private sector. But I do believe. Um, absolutely, there's there's a sense of mission, a sense of collaboration, a sense of of serving a higher purpose that's greater than yourself. Um, that population is is naturally way ahead of folks like myself who did not serve, um, and and it's one reason why you know we have such a such a large population. They they do tend to be very very successful um, coming out. I'm speaking with Doug Wagner, president and CEO of LMI. Coming up, we'll talk about LMI's focus on hiring vet veterans and about being a leader that is trying to lead through change. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Doug Wagner, president and CEO of LMI. During the last segment, we talked about le leadership and military experience. As I mentioned earlier, 25% of your employees are veterans. Does LMI have a program to help veterans find employment and training post their public service? Uh, we do. We have we have multiple. Um, we we do have multiple programs. We also, it is an area of focus. Um, if I can brag just just for a second about about my company, you know we've you know we've been a best vets employer. Um, you know, 10 consecutive years. We're number five on Monster for and Military.com um, again for a number of years. Um, but one area, two areas where we think we we help attract and 
uh, retain um, our military uh, veterans is we're part of the Hiring for Heroes, uh, Hiring Our Heroes initiative um, with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. We've just started our third cohort of, of those teams who are transitioning or will be transitioning soon. And then um, I mentioned before our various affinity groups and the one that one that we have is LVETs or LMI veterans. Um, and again, that that is their group of veterans um, helping themselves as they transition from military service to, to the private sector. So, um, again, very, very proud of the legacy that uh, LMI has there. If you are a veteran out there and like to learn more about how can they find out about it? Um, they can, they, we, we have all the information on our website at lmi.org. Uh, we have a section out there, I believe, um, that, that talks about, uh, those groups, um, or they can find me on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll do anything to help a veteran. So find me on LinkedIn and, uh, Doug Wagoner, W-A-G-O-N-E-R at LMI. And, um, if I can't help you, I'll get one of my folks to do so. Getting organizations to adopt change can always be one of the biggest leadership challenges. How do you approach leading an organization to adopt change? I learned um, a great deal. I mentioned the, the SCIC LIDO split in, in, as we got started. That's where I learned the power of organizational change management or OCM, which really is a process approach to change. And um, it, that was invaluable learning experience for me that I apply now, which is obviously you have to define the change. You have to discuss with people, you know, what is the change? Why are we changing? When are we changing? What is not changing is also just as important because in the absence of information, people will, will fill the gaps. And so you have to be very explicit on what is not going to change. And you also have to explain to them, well, what's in it for them? And be honest about it, right? Some folks that change is, is, is not going to be great for them. Um, but here's an alternative that we have for you. So um, creating that change, creating that cadence, and then literally it's a project plan. You know, just like anything else that, that we tend to do in our industry. You know, we have, we have a Gantt chart of here's the various activities. This one has to happen before this one. This is when the communications come out. And, um, and that, was, that was invaluable for us to get through the change of, of that split. But again, it's, it's something that I'm a, I'm a big believer in and that um, I, I have used in, in my, um, in my le leadership since then. You know, with technology changing you know, at light speed now, the clock speed of technology is so much quicker. How do you, you know, and your, your team is focused on, on technology and, and support of things like the Department of Defense. How do you keep your team focused on, on a, a challenge or a change that seems almost impossible? Um, I think as a leader, your job is to make it possible. You know, you, you have to break it down in its pieces. Uh, you have to give them tools. You have to give them support. You have to give them time. Um, but yeah, there, there, I think we've all been in that situation where you're, you're given a task that does just, just seem impossible. And if you were to look back on it, it probably seemed impossible um, because, you know, the leader set something that was unrealistic or you weren't given, you know, the, the full tools and time and people and resources that, that you needed. Um, but you're right. I mean, things, things do, do move very quickly and you do have to stay on top of it and, uh, and not be afraid to reverse course and say, okay, um, that wasn't a very good idea or that's, that's not going to be achievable. 
let's see what is achievable. And it gets back to you know a comment I made earlier about that continuous improvement. So what what is achievable um, to progress the organization? You know, versus you know maybe that that big bang thing that we thought that we were going to be able to do in a short period of time was just was just unreal. What leaderships do you think? What, what leadership skills, excuse me, do you think um, are really needed uh, during very stressful times? Are there qualities that you think you really need to have to be an effective leader during stressful times like we're facing right now with COVID? Um, yes. And I, it, these are serious times, but I think as much as you can de-stress folks, as if you can create perspective for them, if you can show them we are going to get through this and this is how we're going to get through this, um, taking the challenge seriously, but also you got to keep it light. Folks, you know, as, as human beings, you know, we can't be on and you know, um, stressed out all the time. That, that, that doesn't help anybody. And so you try to lighten the mood, um, give them perspective. Um, again, back to communication, let's, let's talk it through, you know, as a group. I think that, I think that helps folks. Um, let them tell you if they're stressed out, let them tell you how it affects them, how it makes, how it makes them feel. Uh, taking the time to do that, I think is, is very important. You know, there's a, you know, what are your thoughts on leadership versus management? Because during very tough times, I think, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time teaching people management skills, but everything I've heard you talk about is really about leadership skills. So what do you think is the difference between leadership versus management? And should we spend more time teaching leadership skills versus management skills? Yeah, I think it. I think it gets. There's a pivot point in in people's careers, or it's a. It's normally not a pivot point. There's a graduation from manager to to leader. So, and I and I could if you know if, if I could I can plot my course. So the first time I was a manager, if you will, of a team, um, I had very clear, discrete objectives, and, and I had to manage to those objectives. Um, but to do that, that's where you started saying, well, gosh, I got to motivate this team for me to hit those very clear, distinct objectives. And then as you grow in responsibility, those objectives, you know, are, are a little less well-defined and that's where you pivot from, okay, I can't just make sure my spreadsheets add up. I, I, I can't do that and be effective at the level I'm at now. I need to lean on my team. I need to lean, lean on, on them to get this done for them to figure things out. So I think, you know, as you grow with responsibility, the management side, which is making sure there's effective, you know, resource application and that you hit very distinct goals, you know, you manage resources. Uh, it has to elevate, escalate to, to leadership especially as you grow in responsibility or you, or you're, you're, you're going to fail. You're going to fail on multiple levels. And all too often we see that person who's a great manager, right? He always, you know, hit every single objective, hit every single number. It was never, you know, every deadline um, and thought that that's why he kept getting promoted. And that's, you know, what's the book? What, what got you here is not going to get you there. 
you know, that, that that's one of my favorite books. And it kind of talks about that is, is that adaptive adaptability you have to have as you grow in responsibility or, or you're, or you're not going to grow in responsibility. Today, I'm talking with Doug Wagner, president and CEO of LMI. Next, we'll find out what Doug's advice is to the next generation of federal leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Doug Wagner, president and CEO of LMI. You know, Doug, there has been countless of articles about the lack of diversity in the high-tech industry. What are your thoughts on how we can change this to have the folks who are in the tech industry look more like the general population? And I also understand you've mentioned a couple of times LMI has a strong DI program. So can you tell us about that, um, what you're doing about it, what your thoughts on, on how we can change the outcome of the current mix? Uh, yes, and and the thoughts on that was when when I came in, uh, I came in uh, CEO in August, and, and that was almost the height of of um, of discussion in this country on on racial injustice. And I came into an organization, even though it had had been very positive with various affinity groups. Um, you know, I listened to employees. I had a series of town halls. It was clear people were emailing me directly, um, saying, "Boy, what can we do?" and and um, and I could tell how troubled they were. And so I met with my leadership team and I said, look, I think we do need to, what can we do at LMI? And so we came up um, with a series of objectives, you know, everything from, you know, working greater with um, small disadvantaged, minor, primarily minority owned business. We're going to um, certainly, you know, in not just increase, you know, hiring, but how do you affect that? So we've talked about how can we increase our applicant pool so our applicant pool is more diverse. If you don't interview people that are that are different than you, you can't hire people that are more different than you. Um, we're going to work, you know, we're going to pick one or two historical black college universities and work really closely with them, not just on recruiting, but also in, in sharing ideas and giving the opportunity to support our research. Um, and what we did with all of these objectives also, you know, my me and my leadership team um, will have a greater percentage of our of our bonus compensation tied to these goals. And I didn't send that just to our employees. I put it on our website. So this is also our public view of the things that we're doing, the things that we're going to change going forward. To answer the other part of your question, um, it is a challenge throughout the community. And it comes down to it, we have to increase the applicant pool. We have to um, get with folks younger in their careers as they're making career decisions, showing them the importance of STEM, showing the amazing career that you can have in STEM. Uh, certainly in our industry, you can serve your country and do some really cool stuff. You'll have a lifetime of learning if you're in STEM and, and you have to get folks excited at a younger age so that you know, when it's time for them to be recruited in college, you know, they, they have the skill sets and, 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 and ready to go. Um, and then also one, one important matter is once they come in to your company, um, you know, what are you doing to support them? And my team will tell you, I say, I don't want just equal opportunity for access to a job. I want to make sure we have equal opportunity for success at a job. So how can we do that? And, and I think that, that, that's really resonated with the team. And, and again, that's, that's part of our, our value statement that, that we've published. 
If there's a listener out there that would like to learn more, is there a place they can go to, to, or, you know, somebody they can contact? Um, yes, it, it should, it, it should be on our website. I don't know specifically where uh, I can get with you and, and you can put it back out. Um, but, you know, reach out to, to, to our HR director, you know, reach out to Donna Dietrich and, and she can get you, um, you know, in touch with the right folks. Now you mentioned you you're, you've been here since August as the CEO of LMI. First, congratulations on your new role. Um, so, first, t- tell us what it's like to be a CEO in the first ninety days, and, and what you know what is the day in the life of a CEO there at LMI. Um, well, first, uh, it, well, first of all, it's been a, it's been a wonderful ninety days. Uh, it has been a very quick ninety days. Uh, I want to thank my team for all of their support. I mean, they have just been phenomenal in welcoming me, uh, educating me, uh, saying, Hey, you know, you know, here's a, you know, here's the cultural dynamics you need to be aware of. And, and I've been really cognizant of working within, you know, within this great culture, but, um, the, 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 the team can have been more phenomenal to welcome. So I, I do want to, um, thank, thank them. Um, it's been interesting in the era of COVID, to 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 um, come in and lead a company from the outside, I don't have the water cooler talk. I I, I met with my entire team for the first time live last Wednesday, and even then we we made sure that obviously we were social distance and we told folks if you don't feel comfortable coming in that is fine, but that was the first time I met with my entire team um, in the 90 days I've been here, and it was probably my best day best day by far on on the job. Um, life of, you know, day in the life, um, normal, if it wasn't, you know, for COVID, I'd probably be, um, spending more time with the leadership team. I'd be spending more time with clients. We are getting out and meeting with our clients virtually as much as we can, but I would be spending much more time, um, doing those things. I'm also learning a lot about our capabilities, learning a lot about, you know, our customer base, making sure that's aligned where we think the market is headed making sure we're, you know, our, our services are relevant, not just today, but the next three, four years. Uh, you know, do we have an attractive client base that, uh, that is growing? And those are, those are really the, you know, the, the high nail things that, that CEO is focused on in, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Doug, you've had an incredible career. We had talked a little bit earlier about you, um, your role at SAIC slash Lidos. Um, you know, you've been around the industry, uh, around the Beltway, um, you know, for a couple of decades. Incredible success. Can you describe your career path? I mean, was is this how you envisioned it when you got out of college? And, and how did you start on this trajectory? It is not, and I don't think anyone uh, could say that you know their career was, was what they had had planned. I came out probably thinking like a lot of folks that it would be a series of progressions, right? I'd manage five people than ten, and and it would be this very steady progression, you know, to the tops. So I think you know probably in our parents' era, that's that's what you did, right? You you went to work for somebody, you did a good job, and the promotions would come. My career had an awful lot of lefts and rights. So there was there was many lateral moves. There was even some moves backwards, but those moves gave me experience in 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 what I needed to ultimately get to where I wanted to go. So 
you know, the best example is I was a finance major. And so I started my career in finance. I was, I was doing corporate finance work. Um, but I quickly realized that if I did want to become a CEO, that's not the career path for that. You have to be client facing. You have to deliver. You have to do business development. And so um, after about a little less than 10 years in that finance, I looked for the opportunity to break into business development for who I was working for. And so I did take a step back. I was a manager. I was, I was a fairly senior, um, senior level um, finance manager. I went back to being an individual performer for a couple of years to get that experience on the customer facing side that, that ultimately, you know, propelled my career to, to where I am today. So if somebody wanted to follow in your footsteps, what advice would you have? Um, again, realize that especially now that a career path is going to have a lot of horizontal moves and don't feel as though you're stuck, but really embrace the learning opportunities by doing something different on those lateral moves. Again, don't be afraid to keep your eye on, on your ultimate goal. And if that means you have to take a step back for a period of time to get some experience, don't be afraid to do that. Don't worry about how it may look to other people. It's, it's your career that you have to manage. Um, I also say, you know, always keep learning, um, stay positive. You know, people wanna be around positive people. So, so stay positive, especially in times of crisis. And the one thing, um, you know, my, my parents had told me, you know, they, they didn't go to college, they had their own business. And when I started, you know, in the corporate world, they said, you know, don't be afraid to do the dirty job. Take, take the opportunity of the job that, you know, maybe other people are shying away from and, and turn it into something. And so I can, I could point to several opportunities in my career that I did that. And uh, maybe, you know, once I did it, I kind of even questioned myself, well, gosh, why did I do that? But, um, but, you know, again, turn, turn it into something. And, um, and that's, I think that those are, those are just a few pieces of advice I can give folks as they're starting their career. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Doug Wagner. Doug, I just want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some very valuable advice. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Eileen. It's, it's, it's been, you know, been, a, been a lot of fun and, and uh, hopefully this would you know, be helpful to, uh, to your listeners. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.